Welcome to another episode, episode of American, American Timelines. Time I'm Amy. I'm Joe. Wow, it's Joe. I am not Burt Baccarat's personal assistant, Way- Waylon. Oh, okay. I'm not. You're I'm not Joe. him. Okay, yeah. good. Well, um, you like that? This is like the, the little new twist. I do. That was great. The last episode of our season. So this is the podcast that brings you nostalgic, interesting, and crazy events in American pop culture history. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Year by year. That's right. And some jokes. And some... I'll say some silly things once in a while. Ridiculousness. So, what we are in is the second half of 1989. Yes, and this is the last episode of season two. Oh, my God. This is our... The 80s have been a wild ride. Yeah, this is our 27th episode. It's We started somewhere in the beginning of the season, we started doing two episodes per year that's why it's kind of an odd number to end on and we don't really care yeah uh but it's yeah so this is the end of the 80s so just for you listeners listeners note don't think we're going away nope because guess what's coming we've already done the 90s we stumbled through the 90s if you go back if those of you have been with us from the beginning you you've clearly seen an improvement the 90s we weren't very good no but we're not going now that we're finishing the 80s it doesn't mean we're going back into the 90s and doing that again Next season is You may have just heard the intro to next season. It might be just No, it won't be that. Reading Judge Mind. I'm excited. I can't wait. I love the seventies. Yeah, you love the seventies. There's probably tons of crazy murderers. I think it'll be cooler. It was the decade of the serial killer, for one thing. Well, and there'll just be there'll be so many things we probably never heard about. Again, the farther we go back, the more things didn't go viral because not everybody had the internet. That's right. And yeah. nobody, I mean, we weren't alive really. I mean, we were, yeah. we were alive a little bit. We were I was, yeah, 72 I was born. So. Yeah, I wasn't even born until that second half of the next season. That's so. right, next season. Uh, so, the, but I mean, people read newspapers, nobody even read, you know, people read newspapers, but everybody, no, yeah, it'll be, it should be exciting. There should be yep. a lot of stuff, but there's a lot more be. research we've got to do too. So, so we'll tonight, we're going to talk about 1989, starting in June. If you haven't listened to the first half of the year, yeah. be sure to check that out Go as well. look at the last episode where we left off with the NBA Championship Series ended, and we had a new champion. I don't know if you remember the previous episode. We talked nope. about the Lakers, remember? The Lakers and the Pistons. I kind of yeah. hinted that the Pistons were starting to form the bad boys, kind of. I don't know. Well, this is when the bad boys took over. Bill Lambeer was known. He's a big, dumb white guy that was known for like beating the crap out of people mm-hmm. uh, on the court. Anyway, like beating the, people up? Yeah, you know, like hit, knocking guys out and getting fouled out and stuff. Oh. And then he he hurt his face, mm-hmm. and he had to wear this big dumb plastic thing on his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he looked like an idiot, but and everybody, the Beastie Boys hated Bill Lambeer. But anyway, the Pistons won the series in a four-game sweep, sweep, making the first time a Lakers, the Lakers had swept, the first time a team, the Lakers, had swept the first three rounds of the playoffs only to be swept in the finals. Okay. Um, as of today, the Pistons are the only recent Eastern Conference team to sweep in NBA Finals. Prior to 2016, the Pistons were the only team to clinch all four series on the road. So they had a rough play, Bill Lambeer, I talked about that. They were mm-hmm. the bad boys. And then after this game, after this series, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar announced his retirement. Oh, yeah. You want to yeah. guess how old he was? Mm, pr- 
probably 33 or something. 42. Yeah. After 20 years in the NBA. Wow. That I wish I could retire at 42. 42. Yeah. It would be nice. And Pistons guard Joe Dumars was the MVP. Then on June 16th, 1989, Ghostbusters 2 came out. Okay. And that was the seventh top grossing movie that year. I have no memory of Ghostbusters 2. So the only thing I remember it for is Bobby Brown. Okay. Remember he sang that they had another bus Ghostbusters song. It wasn't the, the who you going to call it. It was uh, the In Control. Oh, we oh. Oh, yeah, I do. They call kind them of. Ghostbusters and the in control. Too yeah. hot to handle. Too cold to hold. They call them Ghostbusters right. and the in that's control. Right, that's right. Had a thrilling party with the bunch of children. All the wild slime was under the building. I won't do the rest. No, but don't remember, do the rest. Remember Bobby Brown was in the movie, too. He was mm-hmm. a bell bellhop or something. And he, mm-hmm. had that, he had the gumby hair. I don't like, know if I've ever seen Ghostbusters, oh. too. Well, Vigo. Mm-hmm. Vigo's the bad guy. It's all about Vigo, the master of evil. Trying to battle my boy. That's not an ego. Okay. So the only thing I have about it is that the, the role of Vigo, he's the bad guy, mm-hmm. was played by Wilhelm, Wilhelm von Homburg. Okay. <clears throat> all of his lines were dubbed by Max von Sydow. Oh, the guy from The Exorcist. Is that who that is? I didn't know who that was. Yeah, he was the old priest in The Exorcist. Anyway, Wilhelm was w- unaware that he would be dubbed, and he left the premiere in anger. when He, f- he didn't find out till the premiere. Oh. And so he left. He was oh, all pissed off. Mad. He left it off. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, man. I'd be pissed too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably invited all his friends. Look, watch me in this movie. Great. And they said, oh, you did, couldn't even talk in it. You yeah. Jackass. Do you know who Wilhelm von Homburg is? No, I do not. I mean, I didn't see the movie. This so. guy plays Vigo. So I think he's like a little little guy or a little bad guy or something. All right. Mm-hmm. And then Thursday, June 22nd, 1989. Mm-hmm. In a hearing before Judge Norbert A. Nadell on Rose, Pete Rose's request for a temporary restraining order, Dowd reveals evidence that shows Pete Rose bet on baseball, including Reds games, who he played for, oh. in 1985 and 1986 when he was a player manager, as well as in 1987. The New York Times reports the FBI has determined Rose's handwriting is on betting slips seized from Peters. Oh, boom. So the, that came out, and then it was like, oh, this is a big deal. Yeah. I remember people thinking, like, what's the big deal? Everybody gambles, blah, blah, blah. But this was like, he was a, not only a player, but a, a manager, manager. So he could totally fix the games. But I think his argument, if I remember, if I remember correctly, a lot of his arguments was, I was betting on the Reds. Right. I was betting on us to win. Yeah, you can't fix it, the game. Yeah, I wasn't trying to lose. I wasn't betting that we'd lose. I was betting that we'd win, and then I'd go try to win because I'm a, I'm a real trier. And his name was always Charlie Hustle. Yeah. They called people like, People that run when you're just jogging. Like, mm-hmm. We're just jogging around the lap. You don't need to sprint the whole thing. But Pete Rose is the guy they call Charlie Hustle because he's trying to beat everybody on, um, a, on a, just a warm-up lap kind yeah. of thing. You know, like, stop trying so hard, jackass. Because in sports, you kind of just, come on, man. Yeah. Like, we had a guy in football that we'd have to run conditioning. We're not, it's not a race. We're all just, yeah. we all have to run two laps at the end of the thing. And he always had to be first. And if he mm-hmm. wasn't, if he wasn't first, mm-hmm. He would have an injury and he'd fall down. And be like, oh crap! Oh, somebody beat him. And then he's like, oh, I got. He wouldn't finish the running God. because he had an injury. It's like every time. Yeah. So he was a Charlie Hustle. So I kind of believe that he probably did think he was going to win and just. Mm-hmm. But maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Maybe there's more news. I didn't read all this, so we'll see. Okay. So anyway, Pete Rose, big ugly dude, and then on the next very next day on Friday, June twenty third, nineteen eighty nine. Batman, the number one grossing film of 1989, mm-hmm. Batman. Yep. Like I, I was f- working in a movie theater when this came out. Oh, up. were you? Yep, 1989, the summer. The, this was like the first big superhero That was the summer movie, I worked I there. Yep. Well, did you know who played uh, Batman? 
Michael Keaton. Do you know who played the Joker, do you remember? Yeah, it was Jack Nicholson. Well, did you know that Robin Williams was off for the role of the Joker? Oh, really? When Jack Nicholson was hesitating, like he wasn't mm, He didn't exactly know if he sure. wanted to do it. Um, and Robin Williams even accepted the role. Uh, but when producers approached Nicholson again and told him Williams would take the part, if he didn't, Nicholson then took it. Oh, boom. And Robin Williams was released. Oh. Robin Williams resented being used as bait and not only refused to play the Riddler in Batman Forever, but he also refused to be involved in any Warner Brothers productions productions until the studio apologized. Did they ever? I think they did, because I think Trey did some later. Um, Jack Nicholson received, received a percentage of the gross on the film due to its massive box office take. Yeah. He took home around $60 million. Whoa. As of 2003, it was still the single movie record of an actor's salary but that that's been 15 years yeah, so, so the website i got that from has not been updated since 2003 so yeah isn't that crazy though yeah, that is crazy. that's a lot of money that's crazy and he was the bad guy mm-hmm. poor robin williams i know well, he would have been a great joker yeah well i don't know so silly and crazy i mean he would have been a great riddler yeah Great Riddler. I mean, he's so crazy and wacky. Like, I guess the Joker is a whole new thing since Heath Ledger did it so brilliantly. Like, the Joker, to me, isn't... Isn't as silly. He's yeah. He's more, more evil, just Like, he's just... Crazy. Crazy. He's crazy scary. Crazy. Yeah, he would have been... He would have been more silly of a cartoon if Robin Williams did. He totally would have been. Yeah. And I prefer the crazy, scary one. Yeah. I mean, that was just the most brilliant performance. Yeah. I don't really... I guess I remember it. Oh, so good. He's Ledger's the guy from Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Which one is he? The the blonde one. The sexual lover one. <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> I, don't I really don't remember Heath Ledger much. I remember that movie, but like I don't, I can't, I wouldn't pick him out in a crowd. Yeah, well, he's he's dead now, so. I know. Friday, oh, that same day that Batman came out. Yeah. Another movie came out, the number five overall grossing movie of 1989. Mm-hmm. You want to guess what it is? No. Rick Moranis is in it. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yes, you guessed it. Yeah, that's pretty much the biggest movie that he was in. Except Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was in Ghostbusters. Spaceballs. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. I'm just thinking... In Little that, Shop of Horrors. I'm thinking of 89. <laughs> like everything he's done. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of in, the, in 89. That's true. So, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, so, some other titles that they were going to call it before they named it that mm-hmm. was Grounded, The Big Backyard, and Teeny Weenies. Those well, are all t- terrible titles. Those were all working titles. But then again, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is kind of a dumb title, too. Yep. Um, the Society for the Preservation of English Language and Literature uh, awarded Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with its 1989 Dunce Cap Award, citing the title's grammatical error of using the word shrunk instead of shrank. Oh. Okay. And do you remember the scene when he's in uh, the kids in the giant thing of cheerios sort of the giant bowl of cheerios yeah. he's in when he's about to eat them. yeah um a tank was filled with sixteen thousand gallons of milk-like substance made from chlorinated water food thickener and pigment god the cheerios were made from tractor inner tubes 12 feet in diameter coated in foam it making movies was such a fucking mess before computers, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Somebody had to put all that shit together. They had to make all and that crap. And take somebody it had to jump away into it and, and, and then get rid of it and, and drain then, it out and throw it away somewhere. And they have to do it 85 times to get the same color or whatever the hell. And and now computers just make everything yeah. in a second. I mean, think about all the shit they had to make, physical things they had to make for 
all those kinds of movies. All the time that saved. Think too. about like Star Wars and stuff like oh, yeah. all the shit they had all to make. Miniatures for the, they had to build or make up and all that. Yes, and even the sets and stuff. Like they can CGI all of it now. And it looks pretty real. Yeah, it looks pretty damn real. And now instead, all that money made to do all that stuff it just goes in some computer nerd's pocket. Yeah, that's right. Some geek just gets a whole I bunch of money. I wish it was me. Well, you are a geek. I'm not no, a computer I'm sorry. geek, it's though. It's not. Yeah, you're definitely not a computer geek. No, I'm not. You can barely right click. That is not true. <laughs> you're not very good at right clicking. That is not true. You're just not much of a right clicker. I'm sorry. That's that's how I judge people on there. All right, it's what's computer next? savvy. Saturday, mm -hmm. June twenty fourth, nineteen eighty nine, Richard Marks comes barreling back. Oh, we thought Richard Marks' career would gone. be over. We no. were hoping Richard Marks' career was over, but no. He says, "Wait, I'm not done yet. Yep, I have another number one hit." And, and I'm still not over the fact that he kept "Pour Some Sugar on Me" from being the number one song. Remember yeah, when I said that grudge against him? For yeah, that. he kept that off, and that just goes to show America doesn't always know what's best. We don't know what's best for us. Sometimes no. we pick Richard Marks over Def Leppard. And then years later, we look back and we're like, whoa, Def Leppard was way better than Richard Marks. Richard Marks sucks. And what's this song? This time, uh, don't you know, don't you know, God. not gonna stop until we're I gotta satisfied. listen to you sing, sing again and try to figure out what the Sat hell the song is. Satisfied? I don't remember. I just wrote myself a note that says, don't you know, ooh, was gonna help me remember it, but. I don't, I don't, don't know. Don't you it. know? It's a terrible song, so who cares? I don't it's think remarkable. you're singing it remotely correctly. I'm singing either. it exactly right. I don't think you are. Never gonna stop until we're satisfied. Dude, that doesn't sound like a song at all. <laughs> Shut up. I sing perfectly. In fact, I'm the best singer that ever lived. You're, no the, one's, you're a pretty bad singer. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good, you're, actually. A lot of people tell me I should no, keep No, nobody it. tells you that. There's God. nobody saying that. Yeah, there is. No, there people, isn't. People wake me up in the morning when I'm at work, I'm sleeping under my desk. Did you put that shirt on on purpose? What shirt on? You got American Timelines. Oh, I'm wearing an American Timelines shirt that is available on Amazon.com for $89.99. It is not. I oh, know it's not available. Maybe it will be. Richard Marks is so 80s. Oh. I won't give up until I'm satisfied. I won't give up until I'm satisfied. You know? I won't give up until I'm satisfied. Yeah, that's a terrible song. Well, not Richard Marks. Now, now I'll ask you in 20 minutes to remember this song. And I won't. Yet. You won't be able to because nope. it's such a forgettable, awful song. Mm -hmm. Richard Marks sucks, and he made the world worse. Well, and he's just an emblem of the 80s. Yes, he he's probably a really nice guy, Richard Marks. But he did make the world more crappy. Yeah, that's true. He, like, just, he did something physically to make the world crappier. Just think about it. there are Richard Marks fans that are like, oh my god, I, can't, I wish Richard yep. Marks put out more music. Yeah, they shouldn't have an opinion. They shouldn't get to vote. <laughs> no, Richard I Marks agree. fans should not be allowed to vote. No, you're right. We should make that up. I want to write my congressman. And then on Friday, June thirtieth, Highway to Heaven was on. Oh yeah. I never watched that show. I'm uh, Highway Jonathan and Mark's latest assignment. I don't know which ones. But Jonathan is the guy with the big hair. Michael I Landon, never saw it. I well, think probably no. Michael Landon was the angel. I know. I think he's Jonathan. Oh. the other guy was a scummy bearded guy with an Oakland A's hat. Oh. <laughs> Jonathan and Mark. He's probably Mark. Mark. Yeah. Jonathan and Mark's latest assignment has them as private investigators, and their clients are a Vietnamese couple who have come to the U.S. to look for their sons, whom they had to give up during the war. Jonathan and Mark locate them, and the couple wants to bring them back to 
with them to Singapore, but the boys have a life in the U.S. now and have bonded with the couple who took them in. All right. <laughs> I think I'm I brought, glad we know that. I think I brought that up because I think you have something on that date that I was going to say. Oh, Michael Landon. <laughs> on, on what date? June 30th. I don't have anything until August. Are you sure? Yeah. Why the hell did I look up Highway to Heaven? I don't know, but that was a big, long conversation for that. Saturday, July 1st, 1989, Richard Marks gets taken over by Millie Vanilli. Oh, Remember Millie Vanilli? Yes, yes. I'm trying to think of the song. Ba, 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 oh, baby. baby. Don't forget my, my number. number. So ba, bad. Ba, 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 baby. You're changing your mind about my singing now. No, that song is so bad. Um, I really did a lot of Millie Vanilli research because I totally forgot that they even existed. You did? I mean, I didn't, like, I didn't, I remembered them right away, but mm -hmm. remember that whole thing? Yeah. That whole thing? So they some didn't of that, sing it? a lot of that happened this year, so we'll get into some of that, yeah. but I looked up Robin Fab's new album. Like, I know way more about Millie Vanilli <laughs> than, I, than I need to know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that song was number one on July 1st. Before, at this point, nobody knew that they were fake. That they, of course they weren't not. The real not when their songs were number one. Yeah, not at this point. But the same year. It was yeah. all going to unravel. Yeah. Uh, then Friday, July 7th, 1989, the third highest grossing movie came out. Do you know what that is? The no. third highest in 1989, Lethal Weapon 2. Okay. I didn't see that. You didn't? Mm -mm. I don't think I've seen any of the Lethal Weapons. Really? Yeah. During production of Lethal Weapon 2, Richard Donner was shocked when Mel Gibson confided that he was drinking five pints of beer for breakfast. Despite his alcohol problems, Gibson was known for his professionalism and punctuality. And he's a psychopath. I was drinking five pints of beer for breakfast. Ugh. It'd be awful. Now, back then, beer was like Budweiser, so you can drink a lot more than that than I know, but, today. but, but even so still. Just for breakfast? You'd feel like shit all day. Yeah. Why would you want to do that? Time. Well, you can't help it. No, I know, but I just mean, after five things of beer, I feel like awful. Yeah, right. So I can't imagine wanting to do that in the morning, right, getting ready for the day. After five beers in St. Louis, you're the designated driver. That's right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and then on Saturday, July 8th of 1989, mm -hmm. Fine Young Cannibals take over the Billboard number one spot. She drives me crazy. No, we did that oh, already. We did that one I think last year or earlier. That's the only one I know of that they did. Good thing. Oh, I do kind of remember that. Good thing. Uh, Fine Young Cannibals is not very good. They're not great. The song made its first appearance in the movie Tin Men in 1987. Mm-hmm. The Fine Young Cannibals portrayed a nightclub band in the movie performing this song and three others, including the songs B-Sides, Social Security. Okay. That film is set in Baltimore in 1963, and the song's retro soul style is consistent with that setting. Okay. Do you care about that? Nope. Did you see the movie Tin Men? No. That doesn't sound familiar to me either. Mm-mm. Then on Monday, July 10th. Yeah. It's my birthday of 1989. It's my... Uh, 13th birthday when he died in 1980 Mel Blank died mm -hmm. on my birthday okay uh, when Mel Blank died Mel Blank who was the voice of Porky Pig Bugs mm -hmm. Bunny Daffy Duck and many other characters from Looney Tunes uh, they put on his tombstone the phrase that's all folks yeah did you know that I think I've seen that before I feel like I've heard that too yeah uh, Mel Blank he was great mm -hmm. I gotta say though, the people that they have doing the voices now, like they the, sound exactly like they him. did a great job. They sound mm -hmm. really good. They, yeah. Whoever does it does a great job. And then Saturday, July, but you can tell, you can still tell. Just a little bit, him. yeah. You it's not tell. authentic. It's just not quite him. And then Saturday, July fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine, 
Mm-hmm. Simply Red takes over the top spot in the charts. Again, remember we talked about Simply Red yeah, before. Yeah, and I can't remember which one. If you don't know oh, me that's right. by now. I didn't know he redid that song. It was originally a 1972 R&B song. Was it? Bye. I could see that. You know who sang that originally? No. I, I, I didn't even, I don't think I know this version. I listened to it, I didn't recognize it. I only know the original. By Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Oh, okay. If you, like, it sounds like a Motown song. It does. That's why I said I could see that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was ri- originally written for Patti LaBelle, but they never recorded it. Okay. So, boom, there you go. Yep. Did you know that Patti LaBelle is, like, a huge gay icon? Yeah. Gay guys love Patti LaBelle. I didn't know that. I just recently found that out. Yep. Well, good for her good and for, good for gay guys. Good for everybody. Gay guys are great. They figure out what's great. They do. They know the truth. You know what? I think that we should just give over the Congress and the Senate and everything oh, to gay guys for a while. That would be my dream. Wouldn't that be great? That would be my dream country. Hey, we're going to make it fabulous. Wouldn't oh, my God. It would be my dream. All of it. Like, can you imagine how great the world would be? It would, would be like be? RuPaul's Drag Race. There'd be all this infighting <laughs> and bitching and going on in the back. But, yeah, but overall, they'd come together and run everything great. That's maybe. right. Yeah, I don't know. I would just, we should try that. We should. It, the thing is, it already is. Yeah. <laughs> it already is. They're just all closeted. That's right. So on they're the Republican all, side, at least. Yeah, they're all, like, in bathrooms uh, in the airports. That's right. And then on uh, Friday, July 21st, 1989, mm-hmm. the famous quote from this movie was, I'll have what she's having. When Harry met Sally. Yep. Yeah. That's the orgasm scene. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And I got to say, I used to watch that scene over and over. And just uh, You did? No, I didn't. <laughs> That'd be a little weird. But I might start now. No, it was weird. Meg Ryan is like squeaky clean. Too. Yeah, she is. Uh, Meg Ryan, I wonder what she's up to now. I think she had, I don't know. I think she, I thought she had problems. Well, she might have. I don't know. She might have not. Had she any looks does not look good. She she got way too much plastic surgery. Oh, plastic surgery. Yeah. That, see, that's what society puts all that pressure on. Yeah, she looks like they have to look perfect. She looks bad. She yeah. was always looked very young, so now she really looks poor thing. Yeah. On that same day that I'll have what she's having mm-hmm. came out, Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus, uh were talked about. Uh, Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus were Millie Vanilli. Yes. Well, so we thought. Mm-hmm. Beth McCarthy Miller, then an executive with MTV, said the duo's poor English language skills when they came in for their first interview with the channel stirred doubts among those present as to whether they had sung on their records. The first public sign that the group was lip syncing came on July 21st, 1989, during a live performance on MTV yep. at the Lake Compounds theme park in Bristol, Connecticut. Didn't it as, start skipping or as something? As they performed the, the recording of the song, Girl, You Know It's True, mm-hmm. jammed and began to skip, repeatedly playing the partial line, Girl, You Know It's Girl, You Know It's oh my Girl, God. You Know It's Through the Speakers. And they had video of this. I remember seeing that. I remember seeing it too. They, they just stop or something, They continued don't they? to pr- pretend to sing and dance on stage for a few minutes, for a few moments. Then they both ran off stage. According to the episode of VH1's oh Behind the Music, which profiled Millie Vanilli, Downtown Julie Brown stated that fans attending the concert seemed neither seemed neither to care or to even notice, and the concert continued as if nothing unusual had happened. In a March 1990 issue of Time magazine, Pilatus was quoted. That's funny. The fans didn't even. They didn't even know. They thought it was just on purpose or whatever it was. They didn't know. Idiots. Uh, you know, because they were sort of remix stuff. Yeah. And they probably thought it was just a dance remix or something. Uh, Pilatus was quoted proclaiming himself to be the new Elvis. 
shortly after, in, oh yeah, in March 1990, issue of Time Magazine, Palladius was quoted proclaiming himself to be the new Elvis. Who was quoted? One of one of the one Millie, of the two guys, guys Fab okay. and Rob. So Rob said, "I'm the new Elvis, basically." Like and this was after not, was, that MTV was, thing happened. Yeah, because they didn't. Nobody nothing came it? out. Like, oh, that was in '89, and then by March of '90, yeah, he was like, "We're so big, we yeah. ever want." I'm We're the like new Elvis. Elvis, and and uh, and and he also said. He reasoned, he explained that because we're the else. Like, we're so good and talented. We are more talented than Bob Dylan, Paul McCartney, and Mick Jagger. What? Yep. And, uh, what an idiot. And that is, I'm not sure if it comes up later, but that is what, um, that quote is what made. Uh, Piss people off. No, the guy who really sang the songs. Oh. That's what made him like say, fuck this guy. Yeah. And he told people, he came out and told people that. Hey, they're a sham. We yeah. really sing that. You know, that's when that's why he did it. He was, and then he was paid by the producer mm-hmm. money, like hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like, hey, shut up! Stop yeah, telling people we need this to be big or whatever. And he took that money and he stopped. And then I think later he came out again, and then finally it all blew up, and they all discovered it. But so I, I, thought, I always thought it was just that skipping that, at yeah, the concert, it too. I and thought then that, it uncovered it. Yeah, that's what no, I thought. That's not what happened. It was that guy, oh, being all full of himself, and then the real guy. Coming out and telling everyone. Yeah. But then afterwards, I read up all, <laughs> all on this. I was like, I had to know. Yeah, I know. You know, so then Robin Fab put out an album like two years later of really them. Oh, and they called it Robin Fab or something, didn't they? I think it's called Robin Fab was their group. And I looked it up online and it is. It actually got pretty good reviews, but it's terrible. It really? Like it's them singing and dancing and rapping. And the one guy only does a little bit of it. The first yeah. guy, I don't remember which one's Robin, which one's Fab. But it it's bad, and, you, and it clearly you can tell they have really thick German accents or whatever. Yeah, like they can barely sing in English. Like it's oh my god, it's awful. It's very shitty. But I will say, so one of them ended up dying. Uh, oh, he did. He overdosed, a drug overdose, or killing mm-hmm. himself, or something, some kind of thing. The other one, they both I think had drug problems. And, you know, yeah, horrible problems. Yeah, went away. But the other one that lived later put on an album like somewhat recent, like two thousand and twelve or something, or mm-hmm. or ten, and. That actually doesn't sound. I'm not saying it's good, but it sounds more like mainstream pop music. Like it kind of, it, it I could see it being a hit, and I wouldn't know it was. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, unbelievably bad, like Robin Fab was. Okay, there you go. That's way too much information yes, about Millie Vanilli. It is a I lot. You really why. did some research. I just, it. I fell in a wormhole. You know how you like, yeah, you're, rabbit hole. Fascinated by something, yeah. a rabbit hole. I guess I was called a wormhole for some reason, but you. You get fascinated by something like, oh, my God, I forgot that whole thing happened. Yeah, that's right. What happened again? And I just mm-hmm. remember middle school girls loving Millie Vanilli and having their shirts and whatever. But Yep. Uh, you can I, wear them ironically now. Did you have a Millie Vanilli no. t-shirt? Saturday, July 22nd, 1989, the day after Millie Vanilli had that snafu, mm-hmm. Martika took over the Billboard charts. I don't even remember that. With Toy Soldiers. Oh, that sounds familiar. I can't even sing it other than that Toy yeah, Soldiers Yeah, we part. don't need to. Da, da, da. You know who Martika is? No. She was from Kids Incorporated. Oh, Did you really? Ever see that show on yes. Disney Channel? I think it was on Disney no, Channel. No, I don't think there was a Disney Channel in '89. No, there was. There was. It was like on. You had to pay for it though. Like, uh-huh. but sometimes cable would give you a free things. So we watched Kids Incorporated every once in a while. It was terrible. Okay. It was like, it was like Barney, but with pop songs yeah. and a little bit older kids. Yeah. And they could all sing and everything, but it was just cheesy. Like, mm-hmm. it was just, yeah, anyway. So she was on that show. She was, like, the hot the hot girl on that show or something. Um, you don't remember Kids Incorporated? 
No. Kids Incorporated. K I D S. I don't know. Does that sound familiar at all? No. It was like kids in a rock band or something. Or I mean, I was sixteen and eighty-nine. Yeah, so. you were too busy, too cool for that. Too big. Too big. You're still playing with dolls, though. Yeah. Wednesday, August second, nineteen eighty-nine. Parenthood came out. Yeah. That was the Ninth top-grossing movie of 1989. I remember that. Martha Plimpton plays the older sister of Joaquin Phoenix, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Leaf Phoenix. Yeah. In real life, she dated his older brother, River, for nearly five years. Did oh. you know that? Uh, yeah, I think I did know that. Um, and during filming of Parenthood, the cast became obsessed with playing the murder game. It's a game in which one person who is the murderer has to find a subtle way to kill other players. Oh, we played that at Huron. Simply by looking at them without giving themselves away as the murderer. And apparently this is very apparent in the dinner scene where mm-hmm. everyone is sitting around a table. If you watch everyone's eye movements, it's obvious they're playing that game. Really? Yeah. That's funny. Isn't that funny? And we played that at Huron. Yeah. Remember? It was Assassin. Assassin. That's different. But I, think. I think it's the same thing. No, that one sounds like it's one person the murderer. Like, isn't Assassin like... Everybody gets somebody's name until you kill Oh, that's right. It's something. a little different, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's the same type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Which is why I probably included it. Okay. Saturday, August 5th, 1989. Mm-hmm. The new number one song that I completely forgot about on the Billboard charts. Okay. Prince. Yeah. Bat Dance. Oh, yeah. You remember Bat Dance? Bat I d- Dance. Yeah, I kind of remember it now that you say that. I it, watched the whole... It went with the Batman movie. Yeah, I watched the whole video, and Prince is... A mix between Two Face and the Joker and Batman, but oh, he's really? got two faces. Half of them is Batman, I think, and the other half is the Joker. And he's dancing. It's it's like a huge, long, epic musical video. Like really for that song, it's for that some Bat Dance, and that was number one on the radio. Like, I who know. Would be listen to that because there's not a lot of words and stuff to it. Right. It's just the Batman theme, but it's really weird. I don't know. It is I, weird. I forgot it even existed, so yeah. I'm gonna start listening to that all the time. Are you okay? That's a good idea. Yeah, uh, Prince. Prince. Prince did Bat Dance. I, I, I didn't remember that happened. Bat Dance. All right, what's next? And then Bat Dance came out again, and then we're going to talk more about no, Bat Dance. No, we're not going to talk anymore In about more Bat Dance. Bat Dance news, Saturday, August 12th, 1989, mm-hmm. Richard Marks one more time. You're kidding. One more time. Richard Marks had three. Three. Billboard hits? In, 18, in 1989? One? How was he number one? He's such a terrible... the last one was 89 too, wasn't it? I think so. So it was. Or was just, it eighty eight? I can't remember. He was. It terrible. was just one year, one album, probably. How was Richard? It was, Marks? It's probably on the same album. That was the only he, album he ever did. What is wrong with America? Yeah, I know. This makes me sad to be an American. What's this one called? Oh my God! I am ashamed of America today. What? <laughs> right here waiting. I'll be right here waiting for you. Wherever, wherever you do, I'll right. be. Is that right? Uh, I think that's a different song. Oh, we'll be right here waiting for you. Wherever you yeah, go, whatever you do, I'll be right you. here waiting no, that's, for you. That's, that's you're right. Song. Those are two different songs. That's right. right. That's yep. a different song. Right here I waiting. will be right here waiting for you. He wrote you. this as a love song to his wife, Cynthia Rhodes, uh, who he was on the road. And uh, I'll try to find it because I don't think it was that one. Um, I, I know it now. You do? Yeah. It's almost exactly like that other one, though. It is? Yeah. Who cares? Who yeah. really cares? Anyway, he wrote about his wife, and uh, they later got divorced. Oh, but she bummer. But she played uh, Tina Tech in Flashdance. I don't know. Do you know who that is? I can't remember. Jackie, Jackie in Staying Alive and Penny in Dirty Dancing, which I don't know any of those parts or who that is. But anyway, they got divorced. Okay. August 18th, 1989. Drew Conley's birthday. 
it was Drew Connolly's birthday, and Eric and Lyle Menendez purchased yeah. shotguns at a Big Five sporting goods chain store in San Diego. Wait a minute. They, how many shotguns? I don't know. They just you purchased. said five. No, at, at Big Five sporting goods chain oh. store. Try to listen. Sorry. They purchased those shotguns the same time that Mandy Patinkin and B.B. King were on David Letterman? Yes. And the that same was over 100 miles away from the family's mansion in Beverly Hills. Wait, they bought those guns the same day that Bucky Dent replaced Dallas Green as a New York Yankees manager? Yes. <laughs> then on August 19th, yeah. their parents chartered a yacht and took them shark fishing. They took the kids shark fishing? Mm-hmm. The, that, sa- the same day that 13 East was on NBC? Mm-hmm. Starring plump and personable character actress Diana Alice Bellamy? Okay. <laughs> then on August 20th... They burst into the den of their home and discharged 15 shots into their parents while the couple was watching television on the couch. Eric said that he fired first, but in the end, Lyle fired best. He landed the bullet in the back of Jose's head and shot the fatal blow into Kitty's face. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The, the day after they their parents lovingly took them shark fishing, mm-hmm. they shot and killed them? Yep. Then the brothers... Wait, wait. They killed them the same day that Saved by the Bell was on? And the particular episode was Dancing to the Max, where there was a dance contest? Mm-hmm. And Screech and Lisa won it? Yes. Then the, then the brothers, who were 21 and 18 at the time, drove to a movie theater and bought tickets for Batman. They tossed the guns and changed into clean, unbloodied clothes before driving back to their house and pretending to discover the scene all over again. Lyle's oh. hysterical whine of, someone killed our parents, and his 911 call would later be made fun of in a Jim Carrey movie. Really? I'm not sure which one, though. I couldn't I figure that out. I don't out. remember that part. Yeah. Do you think they were listening to Bat Dance on the way to the They could have been. Now, I got my a lot of my research from, um, there's two va- really good Vanity Fair articles by Dom- Dominic Dunn, uh-huh. who, um, is who a is a crime reporter. He was a He's a defense attorney, I think. And Dominic Dunn. That sounds familiar, but yeah. I don't think I would know who that is. Yeah. So, um, wait a minute. So, do you think when they were in the movie, like, they couldn't have enjoyed the movie, right? They had to be just replaying in their head. What I'm just sure, happened the whole time. yeah. But we're sure that's what happened. The jury is yes. completely. And like, we'll get we into that, it. We'll oh. get into it. So let's think. Let's look at who the parents were. Jose Menendez was Eric and Lyle's that's the dad. dad. Okay, he was a Cuban immigrant. Okay, he um he had come from you know uh, took a boat here and he started penniless and he climbed his way up to the top kind of thing. Okay. Um, he was chief executive officer of Live Entertainment, which was a video distribution company that owns Corelco Pictures, which is a movie production company. Okay. So he was highly regarded by both his company and its parent company, but he was also deeply despised by nearly everyone who worked for him. Huh. So um, he was deeply despised by everyone who worked for him. Yeah. And so he he pulled himself up by the bootstraps, but to do it, he had to step on some yeah. people, probably. Yeah. And so at the time of the murder, there was speculation at Live that any one of several executives there had reason to commit them. Well, because that, you know, he was probably taught that's how you get by in the USA. Well, he, you listen to Richard Marx and you step on people. That's right. Well, he loved to humiliate people in meetings in front of their coworkers. Really? He loved to fire people. He loved to threaten to deprive people of their Christmas bonuses a few days before Christmas. Really? So he was an asshole. Yeah. His own bonus that that year, the year he was blown away by sons, would have been $850,000. His bonus? bonus. His bonus was yeah. $850,000. Yep. Holy so crap! What business was he in? What? what? Oh, he's a video game. You just said video. No movie production company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F- film production. So he also had a mistress for eight years. 
and he had a family motto. Well, now let, hold on. This is where I stop here. If your bonus is $850,000, that's just your bonus? What are you talking about? So you would have a mistress if that was your bonus? Well, the mistress just obviously just comes along with it. No, that, it does right? not. Name one person who gets a bonus that high that doesn't I don't have even a know anybody that gets a bonus that high. Exactly my point. All right. So um, It's a different world. We can't even imagine what life like He had a family be. motto that he instilled in his sons that was basically cheat, steal, lie, win. You know, that's not far off from Jesse the Body Ventura's... Uh, <laughs> His his words to live by are win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Really? Yeah. So okay. It's just well, like Jesse the body. So um, the boys became avid tennis players, and oh, the father God. pushed. Nobody likes tennis players. His and the father pushed him into sports that didn't require teamwork, so it was easier to fuck people over to prepare them for the business world. What? Holy crap! So yeah. this guy's a total asshole. Yeah. So there's not much known about the mom, Kitty was her name she was well, she probably was just an enabler went along with everything she was a former beauty queen six years jose's oh. senior oh older than him huh yeah uh, well you know this is starting to sound a lot like you and i um she had told her therapist at one point before the murders that she was worried that her sons were sociopaths so that oh, was a clue really um lyle and eric were the typical rich kid bullies oh. but they weren't really popular Huh. So they were like, they were just rich, yeah. and they would bully other people. Lyle was definitely the dominant brother. He was the older one, uh -huh. um, and he was being groomed to take his father's place in the business. Even that young, in high, they were in high school, right? Mm -hmm. Eric was overly sensitive and weak and prone to crying. Uh, well, that sounds like me. Now, they had had a previous um, issue with the police in 1988. They stole $100,000 in cash and jewels from a safe in the house of one of their friends. What? And the dad made Eric take the rap. Um, for since he was a minor, he wouldn't get. Wait, the dad was in on the heist? no, oh. no. But when they got caught, and he knew it was both of them. But he made he made Eric brother, to, yeah the, the so that the other one was squeaky clean because he was going into business. college. Yeah. Oh. So in 1987, Eric with his friend Craig wrote a screenplay called Friends, where the main character Hamilton Cromwell looked, acted, and talked just like Eric, and the character murders his parents in that screenplay that they That wrote. sounds like a good screenplay. Like, I would give that the green, <laughs> green light. I mean, based on the character's name alone. I know, right? I would give that uh, Hamilton Cromwell. I mean, mm -hmm. I want to know more about this guy. So, um, we Play, know... We I want him to be played by Chevy Chase. That's a good idea. We know the details of these murders because the brothers confessed them all eventually. They did? Mm-hmm. But they weren't arrested until half a year after the murders. That's six months. And they, um, <laughs> sorry. And they, and I'm just like my. In I'm the meantime, really they they did uh, they reportedly spent one million dollars of their parents' money on parties, travel, and shopping after they died, but before they were convicted. Yes. Because they oh, for a while, people there was a time, yeah, a, a big time where people, people thought they were innocent. Yeah, right? right. Well, they thought that something, yeah, that there was a, mo a mob hit or something that happened. Well, it sounds like it's a good. Not that it's a good idea, but they have a, I mean, if his dad's that much of an asshole, people are going to jump right away. There's a lot of people that would want to kill him. Like yeah. Mr. Burns, like who shot Mr. Burns? Like everybody, everybody hated, hated that him. guy. So there's a lot of people that have a That's reason right. to. So on August 24th, 1989, the day before his parents' funeral, Lyle dropped over $15,000 on three Rolex watches as witnesses he would as witnesses, and he would later testify. You mean the same night that Ving Rames was on the Equalizer? Yes. The same night that Pete Rose, following discussions with Commissioner Bart Giamatti, who also is Paul Giamatti's dad, mm -hmm. uh, and baseball's attorneys, he voluntarily accepts a spot on baseball's 
permanently ineligible list. Yes. Tantamount to a lifetime ban. Yes. Even though he really believed that he would get out of it. But that's the same day that happened. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, also sitting next to his father's secretary in the limo home from the s- funeral services, um, Lyle showed off the leather loafers and says, hey, Marcy, who says I couldn't fill my father's shoes? Huh. Then he wondered aloud to another friend in the car how he could obtain tickets to the U.S. Open. So he was obviously not very broken up about it. The brothers moved out of the family's Beverly Hills mansion and stayed in a series of expensive hotels before finally leasing condominiums on the water in Marina del Rey. Their adjoining apartments had ample room for parties and movie nights with friends. Eric bought a Rolex too and clothes and lost thousands of dollars gambling. He decided to forego attending UCLA and instead hired a tennis coach for $60,000 in a year in hopes of going pro. He practiced up to 10 hours a day and flew to the Middle East to compete. Wow, really? Yeah. Just one of them did that. Eric, the younger one, yeah. So meanwhile, Lyle returns to Princeton. So there's probably video somewhere of Eric Menendez playing tennis. Yeah, there probably is. Um, Meanwhile, Lyle returns to Princeton, but he doesn't attend classes. Instead, he focuses on business pursuits and shopping in the New Jersey and New York areas. That sounds a lot like my college experience. I didn't do much class going. But there was also a story, like when he first got to Princeton, Lyle... Like realize he walked in and he thought he was supposed to have a private room in the dorms and yeah. there was somebody they had accidentally given him a roommate and so he threw Oops. this big fit and threw all the roommates stuff out in the hall and stuff. That sounds like a dick move. Yeah, that's not what I did in college. So I also didn't go to a uh, Princeton. Lyle also hired a team of bodyguards to accompany him on his shopping excursions, and um, he spent forty thousand dollars worth of clothes and, and a sixty thousand dollar Porsche. Oh, man. He purchased a popular student restaurant called Chuck's Spring Street Cafe for $550,000. he bought the whole restaurant? Yeah, and renamed it Mr. Buffalo's after its spicy wings. He wanted to turn it into a franchise. So, okay, that's a stupid buffalo. Mr. Buffalo's is kind of a dumb name. Yeah, it is. I kind of want some chicken wings right now. So they dreamed of athletic success, musical success, and financial success, and they were even interested in politics. Eric was once quoted as saying, my brother wants to become president of the U.S. I want to be senator and will be with the people of Cuba. I'm not going to live my life for my father, but I think his dreams are what I want to achieve. I feel he's in me pushing me, is what he was quoted as saying. Eric said that? Mm -hmm. This is all before they were arrested. Before they were outed. Mm -hmm. Um, But they didn't spend all that six months doing all that stuff. They They also went to therapy sessions with Dr. Jerome Ozeal. And this is where oh, Doctor Ozeal. It's in these sessions where they would eventually. That was this was their. Demise. They would eventually c- confess. So the stress of it all was giving Eric an ulcer. So he confessed to his therapist what he and his brother had the done. The stress of it all, because it didn't sound like he was under a lot of stress. No, I know, like right? Had a great time. Yeah, I guess because the police were investigating and they were still investigating and questioning him. So maybe, maybe during those good times, it just looked like good times, but you're really not. You know how they say that. Yeah. That People, the life of the party is really deep down inside or just hurting. Well, the session was taped, and the Ozeal's mistress was in the other room, and she overheard the confession and go, went to the police. The doctor's mistress yeah. overheard it? Because uh, I was going to say, I was going to ask you, isn't so, it a, a client No, that's how they got around it. They, don't, they can't say the anything? Because cli- she listened to it. Not attorney, but a psychologist. Like, it's supposed cli- to be like confidential. Yeah, but yeah, that's why. So, um, Lyle Menendez was arrested on March 8, 1990 in Beverly Hills. 
Eric was playing tennis in Israel at the time, but came home voluntarily and was arrested on March 11th. Well, Eric had said he got the idea from an NBC miniseries called The Billionaire Boys Club. Yeah. And the murders were almost a straight copycat of the plot of this film. They later got a, a copy of this film, and it and was it's, almost it's exactly, exactly what the they same did. what they did. Like somebody like went to see a movie. Even down to, even like down to shot, going to the movies yeah, afterwards. Yeah, they and, shot somebody. Yeah. That's the, the main plot and the idea is shoot somebody, go to the movies, and then come back. Yeah. Which I feel well, like, they I feel like it, we've covered that in something else, too. Somebody else there was, it was. It was that Rafe... It was that murder... Yeah, the Rafe... It was another Rafe, one where yeah. the, he murdered his parents. He probably got it from... He probably got the idea Maybe from this. from that. Yeah, because yeah. this was such a big... This was such big news. Um, yeah, but the Rafe happened before this, right? No, that was in the 90s. Oh, it was the 90s? Yeah. Okay. So... I mean, in theory, the idea is not a bad one. If you... if. The, you know, if you're at the movies, but you can sneak out in the middle of the movie. Yeah, and start the movie, show you have the ticket, make sure you're seen there, like yeah. wear something ridiculous. Yeah. If you can sneak out and sneak back in, that's the, the crux of it. Yeah. It sounds like the Menendez guys they did. They went afterwards. They did it and then went. They did. The pathologists aren't going to be able to figure it out. Yep. So, um, but then it's the, the case stalls for years. A judge ruled portions of the tapes of the brothers' therapy sessions admissible as evidence, which their attorneys appealed. The battle for the tapes dragged out for 30 months until the Supreme Court of California intervened. Both boys were indicted on December 7, 1992. The same night that Love and War, a comedy about a woman running a bar and restaurant in downtown Chicago, was on, starring Jay Thomas and Joanna Gleason. And tried separately for murder. The jury in Eric's case deadlocked on January 10, 1994. Oh, that's the same day on CBS Dave's World was on, a sitcom about Dave Barry st with <laughs> starring... Uh, uh, Harry Anderson. Okay. And also with Shadow Stevens and Meshack Taylor. The jury in Lyle's case deadlocked two weeks later. The judge declared mistrials. It wasn't until April 17, 1996 that a third and final jury found the brothers guilty together. The whole process took nearly seven years. That's insane. So they... Yep. All that time... And they weren't in jail all that time, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, they were? Oh, yeah. They were sitting in jail? Oh, okay. yeah. Are they still alive? Well, I'm not done. Oh, so the initial case ended in a mistrial because of a convincing and surprising, when it was introduced, argument from the defense. Attorney Leslie Abramson and her team contended that both Lyle and Eric had been molested by their father since childhood. Now, okay. Well, now, this wasn't introduced into evidence until 10 days before the trial began. It was So they kept it down in secret and, and wanted a bombshell thing, Because they, right? they had been in prison for two years by the time they came up with this. Huh. They had already been there for two years. And so, you think they came up with this? This... Oh yeah. Straight. Oh, I mean. Oh, you don't have to raise your voice. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. So. Well, I how was I to know? Abramson, their lawyer. She's the she's really so, well known defense lawyer. Oh, so like really rich. Real good, real good. Yeah. So the brothers, um, according to her, um, the she helped the boys depict a lifetime of gruesome and relentless sexual assaults, so starting from childhood and continuing into their teens. According to her defense, the brothers finally banded together in the weeks before the murders to confront Jose and tell him they'd go public with the abuse and destroy his reputation if he didn't stop. They feared his retaliation, their legal team argued. They feared for their lives. That's why they bought the guns. The huh. story was impossible to corroborate because the alleged villains were dead, but by the time the brothers opened up about the abuse, the public had been hating them and eating up the spoiled rich boy narrative for years. Mm, too late. So in what can only be considered overkill, the defense in the old blame the victim strategy has gone to great lengths to assassinate the character of Kitty Menendez, 
a deeply unhappy woman heartbroken by her husband's infidelity. Having pumped her full of lead, her sons now participate in killing her again as they listen calmly to their lawyers and cousins' descriptions of her as a desperate, demented, drunken, drugged, suicidal woman who harassed her husband's mistress and was also a dangerous driver and a lousy housekeeper. This is oh, all geez. Dominic Dunn's writing. According to the defense, there were always dog feces on the floor and ferret feces dropped Ugh. by the family's pet ferret under the bed in mom and dad's room where Lyle was sent to lie when he was bad. There was also a rabbit, Lyle's rabbit, but the parents didn't like the rabbit and wanted Lyle to get rid of it. One morning, he found it dead in the garbage can. Either mom or dad or both had bashed in its head and because Lyle hadn't gotten rid of it as they had ordered him to. This is all false. And that's all what they, all just lies, what they said. Yeah. So we, in, they were told in court that Lyle, at 14, was still wetting his bed and that his parents would put the soaking, smelly sheets on the breakfast table. Oh, that's what I do. They my, were told that Kitty th- threatened to poison her family, that she told her sons she hated them, that she could have her have a, have had a career in broadcasting if she hadn't had them. Yeah, she's probably right there. The defense claims that she knew all along that her husband was molesting Eric. You will hear evidence that she never tended to her son while he was throwing up in the bathroom next door to her bedroom after a sexual episode with his father. You will also hear evidence that up to the age of 15, Eric's mother would periodically make her son submit to her physical inspections of his genitals, which she called checking you out, on and on. They that also, sounds too specific. They also heard that it in sounds a... like that might be real. They also heard that in a fit of rage with Lyle a week before the killing, she reached over and pulled off the 21-year-old's hairpiece. The um, Wait, whose hairpiece? Yeah. So Wait, a 21-year-old has a hairpiece? Yep. And, and Leslie Abramson the, would have the people believe that until that moment, Eric never knew that his brother and protector wore a toupee. According to Abramson, the exposure of the wig freed Eric to tell his brother what their father had been doing to him. Wait, 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 wait. Is all this still fake? Yeah. No, com- he's got a toupee. He really does have he a toupee. He does. He's, he has some kind of... And the brother didn't know he had a toupee. That's, what, real. that's what they're trying to... They want people to believe. So they're trying to... So you got Count Barfield over here barfing every time he's molested. Yeah. And the mom's checking his junk? That's what he says. That's happened. all that's in. The mom's checking his junk, saying checking your junk to make sure there's no evidence? While Count Barfield is barfing I don't know why she's checking a, him out. I don't know why she would do that. But the, but the toupee thing's a real thing. Yes. He really did have a toupee. But it, how can you... Yeah, he yeah he had he had no hair. I guess some people go bald early. Like he had really really premature baldness. Really. And huh. he had a toupee, and but they they want people to believe that his brother didn't know that he had a toupee until this fight. And that that was what. And then that caused him to open up okay. about all this sexual. I'm abuse. bald. Also, I was barfing every time I was raped. That's and right. Mom checked my junk out. Yep. Hmm. That's what they want us to believe. Um, I just have a little bit but more. But you don't sound convinced. No, no, I don't. I'm not convinced. Hold on, I just have a little bit more. So they were sentenced, and um, despite the request to be placed in the same prison, the Menendez brothers were separated and are still serving their life sentences miles apart to this day. But that's actually, they just got, I saw on the news, they just got put in the same prison. Now they're in the same prison. They did, really? Mm -hmm. Are they in the same gang? No. Both had gotten married while behind bars. Lyle twice. What? His first wife was a former model. His current wife, Rebecca Sneed, is a magazine editor turned attorney. Eric married Tammy Sackerman, an attractive blonde with whom he'd been engaging letters for six years. Who are these I people? I don't know. That is a good fucking question. I marry these guys and why? And so that is the sordid tale of the Menendez brothers. I think our next season, our, we just need to do a whole new podcast on these women who marry cr- criminal, crazy criminals. Well, when we find out men do it too. Well, yeah. Well, everybody does it. These are beautiful people. 
that could offer the world lots of things, but the they're criminals? spending all their time with criminals. Oh, I thought you were talking about the criminals, no, the, the beautiful the people. the people who are marrying them, probably. I mean, yeah. you said one was a former model and one was a beautiful yeah. blonde. I know. Like, but then they go and they marry criminals. I mean, Charles Manson had a 24-year-old wife it's something before about, he died. It's got to be a disorder. Something about yeah. either fame or notoriety or being some, obsessed with something with having someone caged they need to be locked that up. or you feel like you can save them like like you feel like you can you As see you can find the real humanity inside and like it's a project yeah well and they can't go anywhere they're not going to cheat on you that's right except with other dudes <laughs> yeah that's the, true and somebody drops a soap yeah that's true so that, that was the menendez case you think oh, that was all right that was good. Yeah, that's actually definitely way more than I, because I never paid attention to any of those shows yeah. ever. I was just like, yeah, I don't care about this. I really paid no attention to any of that. So I was surprised by all that. Okay, good. That was good. I think it was interesting. And then on Friday, September 1st, a Michigan farmer named Robert Reed found a camera attached to balloons in his field. Was it, uh, was it that lawn chair Larry? <laughs> no, no, it was it was balloons and a camera, not a chair with a guy drinking a bunch of beers. Okay, it was a camera uh, attached to balloons. He found it in his field, and he got the film developed, and it contained images of what appeared to be mm-hmm. a mutilated corpse. <gasps> Tell me everything. Sparkling a year long FBI investigation. Did you say sparkling a year long? I did say sparkling. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's sparking. I don't know why. I can't see. I got glasses. Uh, anyway, it contained images of what appeared to be a mutilated corpse sparking a year-long FBI investigation. Okay. This is where uh, they investigated it, and it turned out to be yeah. footage for Nine Inch Nails' first music video oh. down in it, filmed 200 miles away. Oh. It's so disappointing, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so... One month before Nine Inch Nails released their critically acclaimed 1989 debut album, Pretty Hate Machine, Trent Reznor and company made their way to Chicago's North Side to film a music video for its lead single, Down In It. The premise was simple enough. A man, played by Trent Reznor, climbed to the top of a tall building only to slip and fall to his death. And the video, so they show him walking up these steps in a building mm-hmm. in a city, you know, with mm-hmm. a lot of buildings. The video ends with Nine Inch Nails members Richard Patrick and Christopher Verena discovering Reznor's uh, dead body days later to create the illusion of decay Reznor was covered in cornstarch and and cameras tied to balloons were filmed they filmed overhead views uh, however one of those cameras ended up breaking away during shooting and drifted all oh, the, all the way from chicago to burr oak michigan where it was discovered by a farmer oh my god about, upon seeing its gory contents he called the police who then called the fbi who then launched a nationwide investigation under the assumption that the man featured in the video was actually dead and what they were watching was a snuff film. Oh, my God. That's, a, that's crazy. Isn't that a crazy thing? Yes, it is. So I watched the whole video. Yeah. And it's clearly, yeah, I could see how you would be. You think it's real? Out. Yeah. I mean, well, not the video because they've made it like rock and roll. Yeah. Or whatever. But you could tell, you can kind of gather what the must have been on the footage. Yeah. Just the balloons, you know. Cause yeah, because the higher up edit. pictures. Yeah, they didn't edit any of that. But can you believe the balloons made it all the way from Chicago that's all crazy. the way over, all across the I wonder what kind of balloons. Lake. It must have been. How did they control them and let and have them? How did the rest of the balloons were they controlled? Well, they didn't control them very good. <laughs> they no, lost one of them. Who knows? That's nuts. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's a good story. That's pretty funny. You were surprised. I used to like that um, that album a lot. Nine Inch Nails. I never cared for them. I used to like them. It's not very good. If you listen to it now, it yeah, it doesn't hold up at all. Bad. I don't think. And then the very next day that the farmer found that uh, he was probably that same farmer was probably listening to Paul Abdul. 
Uh, Could she, be. She took over the Billboard charts with her first number one. I don't know. I think it's her first number one. Maybe it's not. Cold Hearted. Cold Hearted Snake. You're a cold hearted snake. Look into his, his eyes. eyes. You remember the video for this? Mm-mm. I watched that too because I just got done with the Trent Reznor thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul Abdul uh, is dancing for these these stuffy music executives, and she's mm-hmm. got a whole group of team of dancers. And basically, the dancers are basically having sex with each other. There's just tons of sexual positions. Oh, really? Humping each other and spreading legs and putting faces and crotches and stuff. Oh my! And then at the end, she's like, "Oh, what'd you think?" And they're like, oh, "It was great." Uh-huh. And they seem all scared. And covered like in they have boners. But the video was directed by David Fincher. I don't know who that is. You know who David Fincher is? It sounds kind of familiar. He directed uh, Seven, Fight Club, oh. those kind of movies. Yeah. I don't know. Curious Case of Benjamin Button, yeah. Alien 3. Okay, I yeah, I do know that. You know, that's David Fincher. He directed a Paul Abdul video. That's embarrassing. That was a resume. September, Saturday, September 9th, 1989, mm-hmm. New Kids on the Block take over with probably their most well-known song. What is it? Hanging to Oh, God. I was never a new kid. I was too old for Thank new kids. Thank goodness. That's why I love you. Because I was 16. I watched this video. I remember, you know, of course, we hated the new kids on yeah. the block. But I watched this whole video, this whole song. Yeah. Honestly, this song makes me embarrassed to be a white person. Really? That's a lot of white guilt watching yeah. that. Like, just white people trying to be tough, tough and... We're, I mean, the whole song is just terrible. Do they try to act tough? They try to act tough, but they're wearing stupid clothes. Yeah. Stupid, trendy 80s clothes. And they're like they 12. Look like, they look like total douchebags. And girls are screaming, crying like they did for the Beatles. Yeah, they like did. They were like screaming, like yeah. crying like they did the Beatles. For these douchebags. Yeah. Total douchebags. I mean, there's n- no part of them that's not <laughs> douchebaggy. There's n- right. There's not one thing about that video that's not complete douchebaggery like, yeah it is total the whole thing is the worst thing ever and they're awful and i'm embarrassed to, to be white like yeah they've shamed the entire white race <laughs> not hard to do well you know what i'll, I'll go further they shame the entire human race yeah i'm ashamed to be a human okay they're terrible how do you really feel oh god they're awful no wonder no wonder people don't like white people because of that yeah trust them me. and phil collins no phil collins is great Saturday, September 16th, 1989, Gloria Estefan took over the Billboard charts. Don't want to lose you now. That's, I... It's a ballad. Okay. Don't want to lose... I don't even... I don't want to lose you. I don't know. Can you think of I it? don't know it at all. Do you want me to no. say it? No. you want me to keep no, saying it? No, because I can't tell. Don't want to lose Stop you it. now. <laughs> I can't tell. Don't want to lose... Never going to give you... <laughs> Everything turns into that. Never gonna it's a brick roll. I think that's how it went. Don't want to lose you. I think we should start just rickrolling people in conversations we're having with them. Just start <laughs> like, hey, I got some bad news, buddy. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna lose you. Just start rickrolling people in person. Uh, hey, I'm sorry, we had to call this special meeting, and we're gonna have to let you go. We're gonna have to let you go. Don't want to give you up. No, you're really fired, but don't want to let you know. I think we should totally start doing that. We should, And yeah. just say, you, oh, I rickrolled you. Live rickrolling. You've been rick- rickrolled, you motherfucker. And then you walk away. <laughs> Live <laughs> rickrolling. I'm going to start rickrolling people in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> help, help. Put ketchup all over you like you're, I've been, I've been hurt. I've been shot. Can you help stand me? Out. Never going to give I'll, you. I'll call 911. Never going to give you up. <laughs> Never going to let you down. That's a great idea. Yep. 
In fact, let's stop this podcast and start yep. live rickrolling people. <laughs> Sunday, September 17, 1989, after winning a record four consecutive Emmys for his role on Night Court, John Larroquette asked not to be considered in 1989. Oh. He said, I've won enough Emmys. Stop giving them to me. Wow. Yep. Rare. And he, I think he hosted the Emmys, too, that night. Okay. And then Saturday, September 23rd, 1989, we got a new number one a new, another new number one song. Yeah. Millie Vanilli again. Oh, something about the blame it on the rain. No, this oh. one's called Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You. Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You. I don't know. Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You. I, it's, I think it sounds just like the other one. It probably does. Millie Vanilli sucks. Yeah. Obviously, it wasn't even them singing. And then Sunday, October 1st, 1989, the AOL Welcome and You've Got Mail sounds were recorded. Okay. In 1989 on a cassette deck. Oh, really? Eldwood... Elwood Edwards is an American voiceover actor, best known for as the voice of the internet service provider AOL. Uh, and there was a woman's voice. It was a man's you've voice. You've got mail. It was a man's voice. It was a guy. Oh, okay. Welcome. You've got mail. And that was the guy. You've got pictures. You've got voicemail. Files done. And goodbye. Oh, all wow. recorded in his living room on a cassette deck. I never had AOL, so I don't know. You've got mail. I remember hearing that. I mean, the movie. Yeah, there's a movie about it. Yeah, about that guy's voice. Yep. Uh, and that guy murdered 25 people. I wish. Immediately after. I wish. I would make it such a yeah, I know. You would love that if that guy <laughs> murdered people. I'm just starting. Everyone murdered people at the end of just it. Just so I'm interested. We should rickroll that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, never going to give you mail. Never going to give All you All right. Uh, Sunday, October 7th, 1989. Mm-hmm. Another new number one song, Janet Jackson. Yeah. I don't know. I'm rushing home to see your smiling face and your warm embrace. Oh, I, me feel I miss so you much. Good, good, good. Yeah, I miss you much. And I could catch that one. See, I'm a great singer. That's a black and white video, and all the dancers are asking about her personal life, her new boyfriend, when she she's walks her, in. And her, she says, She's in a belly shirt. No, she's wearing fully clothes, oh, but she she's like, I'll tell you about. Hold on a second. I'll tell you about how the date went. Mm-hmm. And then she sings the whole song and does a whole dance routine about Miss You Much and never gets into it. Um, but the video choreography, there's an extended video mm-hmm. for this where there's a whole big chair routine that she does with dancing with a chair. Not to be confused with the pleasure principle where she does the famous chair move where she puts yeah. one leg on the top of the chair, one on the bottom. One on each. Fall, yeah. Makes it fall down and then keeps going. Yeah. That's pleasure principle. But this one, there's a whole big chair dance routine where okay. she and four other people just start dancing with chairs for like 20 minutes. And the music stops and they just do this whole chair thing. Okay. So that's pretty good. And she was beautiful. This, she had kind of like lost some of the baby fat and got kind of thinner. Yeah. But before she got creepy looking, mm-hmm. she, just, she looked like a hot michael jackson yeah yeah they look very they're very similar looking yeah. before all the surgery even when they start getting some of the surgery they i'll look. admit i started question, questioning my sexuality when i found her attractive i was like maybe i'm gay for michael jackson <laughs> doesn't make any sense yeah then i started dating dudes <laughs> yep you did i did and then i met you babe that's right you're the best dude I ever dated and then friday october 13th 1989 look who's talking mm-hmm. came out you know what out of 10 movies where do you think that ranked that year? What, third? Fourth. Fourth? According to Kirstie Alley's memoir, she fell in love with John Travolta during filming, but she stayed faithful to her husband. And John Travolta was probably eyeing the... the all the dudes. Yeah. All, all the key grips. All the key grips. I was just <laughs> trying to think of that. <laughs> the best boy. This was his first major acting role in five years. This was like his comeback. The yeah. The beginning of his comeback. Yeah. Um, 
He's pretty that much definitely gay. Oh yeah, I, on this when I looked that up too, I fell in another one of those rabbit, rabbit, holes. rabbit holes online. All these people that like for years and so he's totally gay. Yeah, he's been gay the whole time. Everybody knows he's gay. Like he's he's like everybody in Hollywood. He doesn't even like, yes, yeah. he's gay. He doesn't even hide. He bangs every dude everywhere. That's right. Yeah. And Kelly uh, Preston is cool with it. Yeah, she just is like whatever. Like, Who cares? It's, it's a arrangement. Yep. Same with Tom Cruise. Makes you wonder about his son, how his son died. Uh, his son had autism. I know. But it just makes you wonder, like, I don't know. Wasn't it a plane crash or something? I don't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, Tuesday, October 17th. I don't want to start accusing John Travolta of murder. Yeah, okay. We won't. Tuesday, October 17th, 1989, the Loma Prieta earthquake struck. Okay. You remember this? No. It struck at 5.04 p.m., uh, and Game 3 of the World Series was scheduled to start at 5.35 p.m. at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And thousands of people were already in the stadium when the quake occurred. Because of the coincidence of timing, it was the first major earthquake in the U.S. ever to be broadcast by live television. Oh, wow. Experts credit the timing of the series as a lucky break that prevented a massive loss of life in the region. Key in reducing the loss of life was the fact that many people on both sides of the bay had left work early or were staying late to participate in after-work group viewings and parties, reducing the traffic that would otherwise have been on the collapsed freeways at 5.04 on a Tuesday. Wow, so the freeways collapsed. Initial expectations were that hundreds of people had died in the collapse of Interstate 880 in Oakland. The final death toll from that event was 42. Oh, wow. But it was rush hour. If it hadn't been for the World Series. Yeah, it would have been thousands. A Goodyear blimp that was covering the telecast was used to coordinate emergency efforts. At the time of the earthquake hit, ABC's crew was in the booth as Tim McCarver was presenting a highlights package. The earthquake hit while the video was playing and temporarily knocked the feet out. And just before it was knocked out, Al Michaels could be heard on air saying, I'll tell you what, we're having an earth. With the feed cutting out just before he finished. Oh. Michaels, McCarver, and a third man in the booth, Jim Palmer, mm-hmm. grabbed for whatever they could to brace themselves and inadvertently grabbed one another's legs, leaving all three men with thigh bruises. How do you grab one another's legs? Well, they were they fell down in a, in a kind of in a circle jerk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And... And a lot of people don't know this, but as they were grabbing each other's legs, one thing led to another. Yep, that's what I was waiting for. And the power came back on as they were all sucking each other's dicks. Okay. <laughs> and so they had to, like, get their dicks out of each other's mouths. Okay, and we're done like with this. Us. We're done with this. And now back to the World Series. Uh, um, the audio was restored with Michaels taking over a screen bumper until the video was restored and saying, jokingly, about how the earthquake jolt was the greatest opening in the history of television, bar none. All right. Yep, <laughs> they all sucked each other off. Okay. And then Saturday, October 28, 1989, mm-hmm. the World Series ended with the Athletics sweeping the Giants in four games. It was the first World Series sweep since 1976. Okay. Saturday, November 4, 1989, mm-hmm. Roxette becomes the number one song. Oh, I can't remember the what they sing band. either. Uh, Listen to your heart. Oh, yes. I don't know how that goes. Do you? Listen to your heart. I don't know. That's all I know. That's a Sabbath for you. Something like Listen that. Listen to your heart. Yeah. Um, it's bad. Some. Oh, somebody. Some The dude who wrote it was one of the band members or something. He wrote it uh, based on a friend of his who was in emotional turmoil. Stuck <laughs> stuck between an old relationship and a new love. I don't know. Who cares? That's stupid. Yes. Yeah, November 11th, 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roxette's overtaken by Bad English. 
Oh. You remember Bad English? Sort of. So I looked this up because I didn't really remember this. The song sounded kind of familiar. The video is awful. Yeah. When I see you smile. Smile, I can face the world. Yes. Oh. You remember that song? I can do anything. It's yeah, terrible. it's terrible. The guy's got a horrible, yep. long mullet hair. Yeah. It's but, so 80s. But the singer me. looked really familiar to me, so I had mm-hmm. to look up who he was. Mm-hmm. So the lead singer of that is the same guy who sang... I ain't missing you at all. Oh, yeah. I can hear missing that. Missing you. I can totally it's hear It's the that. same guy, but he's got a long hair, and he's in a rock band now. Yeah. Called Bad English. But I wouldn't call it a rock band. The people that sing When I See You Smile. No, no. no it doesn't sound like that. But when you look at the video, he's dressed like a rock star. Like, he's got oh. a leather jacket and long hair. He looks oh. like White Snake. But he sings that? But he sings that. Oh, that's funny. It's terrible. It's awful. It is funny. I'm going to kill someone because of that song. Honestly. All right. I'm not, you'd probably like me better if I committed a murder. No, no. Wednesday, November 22nd, 1989, the sixth highest gross, grossing movie came out. It's a sequel. Yeah. It's a sequel to a movie that rhymes with Fact to the Nutcher. Oh, Back to the Future 2. Yeah, Back to the Future Part 2. That's right. Do you remember the whole thing, the whole hubbub with Crispin Glover about this? No. You remember, do you remember anything at all? Mm-mm. Wait, no, is Back to the Future 2 the future one where they go in the future? Yeah, they go in the okay. future and Biff, who's yeah. basically, is basically Donald Trump yeah. and becomes president or whatever. Uh, everybody calls, a lot of people call Trump just Biff. <laughs> they yeah. call him Biff from Back to the Future. Do they? Yeah. Uh, Crispin Glover sued the filmmakers as he had not granted permission to use his likeness in part two. Uh, but they, you know, they they dressed up a guy with heavy makeup, age makeup to just look just like him. Oh, really? And so he sued because that's my likeness completely. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's settled out of court for uh, $765,000 by Universal's insurance company because uh, they didn't want to pay Crispin. And then uh, the Screen Actors Guild subsequently introduced new rules about the illicit use of actors. Um, basically, Crispin Glover was pissed because that he was getting paid way less than all the, a lot of the other actors. Oh, was he? Yeah. And then he, when he bitched about it, they gave him, they offered him less. And oh, so, wow. And then he said, fuck you, I'm not doing it. And then they... Usually, guy looked like him, then he sued him, kind of thing. Yeah. Saturday, November twenty fifth, nineteen eighty nine. Millie Vanilli's back up. This time it's now it's blame, blame it, it on, on the, the rain. rain. Yeah, yeah. So this is where the inserts for the American version of the album explicitly attributed the vocals to Rob and Fab, and this is what prompted Charles Shaw to reveal in December nineteen eighty nine mm-hmm. that he was one of the three actual singers of the album. And that Rob and Fab were imposters. And this is when Frank Farian, the producer, paid him $150,000 to retract his statements. Uh, so he did? And he did. So because of all the criticism and all mm-hmm. the people were starting to question it, Rob and Fab uh, insisted that they be allowed to sing on the next album. So they just like make it all go away. Yeah. Um, but they were probably so bad. Yeah. So then all this stuff finally came out. And then they withdrew their American Music Awards. Or no, they didn't. They they withdrew their Grammys or whatever, but yeah. not their American Music Awards. Oh, okay. um, but I was thinking about that later. I was like, it's still good. I mean, if people liked it, yeah. But it wasn't. Do they care they who who sang it? But they said they they were saying they were singing. They're it. They're saying it was these two guys. But it was really these other guys. It's because they're less attractive. Well, I, I think it's just the principle of tri- but still, trickery. But if you still like the song, yeah, you should still, still like the song. But but the, it's you only not like the right it artist. Rob and Fab sang it. I'm not saying I didn't like it one way or the other. I'm yeah. just saying people were Who mad because it was it? a trick. Because it was trickery. Trickery. You think it was it's lies. These two good-looking guys. It was all lies. 
It's not a guy who's attractive. Based uh, on lies. Anyway, many, many lawsuits came up later. At least 27 different lawsuits were filed uh, against them. From who? Fans. Um, no. Yeah, like and the big one that won was a fan in Cleveland that said she didn't know it was them. She wants her money back. And so, and then she won. So anybody who bought that album in Cleveland could oh my God. be part of that lawsuit and they lose money. So then there's more and more lawsuits like that. But months later. Can you imagine being a fan and suing? And suing them. That's so that. dumb. Rob and Fab, they parodied the scandal in a commercial for Carefree Sugarless Gum. And they began to lip sync to an opera recording. And I remember that. You do? Yeah. And an announcer asked as their lips were sinking, how long does the taste of carefree sugar gum, sugar-free gum uh, last? And the record began to skip, and the announcer answers, until these guys sing for themselves. Yep, I remember that. You believe that? Mm-hmm. Then they moved to L.A. and they did that album, Robin Fab. And despite fabulous positive reviews from critics, the album failed due to financial problems. Okay. Uh, it only sold 2,000 copies. But I watch on YouTube. It's terrible. Yeah. Rob later served three months in jail. For assault, vandalism, and attempted robbery. He spent six months on a drug rehab charge Jeez. before returning to Germany, and he died of alcohol and prescription drug overdose at a hotel in Frankfurt on April 2nd, 1998. Rest in Pete Rob from yep. Millie Finelli. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you and I need to just start memorializing him. Yeah. Either every episode. We'll say goodbye to Chuck Berry and rest in peace. No, we're not Rob from Millie Vanilli. And then December 9th. 1989, Billy Joel took over the number one charts with mm, In the Middle of the Night. I go walking in my sleep. No, uh, you're wrong. Okay, what is it? We didn't start the fire. Oh, right. Zabba dee ba doo ba da ba dee da boop. Zabba da ba dee be dad. Yamma da ba ding dang ding dang fling fling chamba chamba ching chamba. Okay. It's just a listing of things. That's right. Billy Joel got the idea for the song when he just turned 40. He was in a recording studio and met a friend of Sean Lennon, who had just turned 21, who said, it's a terrible time to be 21. Joel replied to him, yeah, I remember when I was 21. I thought I had an awful time, and we had Vietnam, you know, drug problems and civil rights problems, and everything seemed to be awful. And the friend friend replied, yeah, 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 but it's different for you. You were a kid in the 50s, and everybody knows nothing happened in the 50s. And then Billy Joel said, wait a minute, didn't you hear about the Korean War, the Suez Canal, and all that stuff? Wednesday, December 13th, Driving Miss Daisy came out. Yep. So convinced was she that she would lose out on the uh, Academy Awards that year, Jessica Tandy had a $100 bet with her agent that she wouldn't win the Oscar for Best Actress. And she won. When she paid up on Oscar night, she told him it was the best bet she ever lost. Yep. And then she went down on him. No, stop <laughs> it. Uh, Sunday, December 17th, 1989. Yeah. Simpsons roasting on an open fire. That's a good one. This is the very first episode yep. of The Simpsons. I think they get Mr. They get um, they get their dog. Yeah, while well, Christmas shopping, Bart sneaks off and gets a tattoo. Mark discovers it, blah, blah, blah. They, anyway, they get they don't have any money. They lose all their money. Santa's get, little the helper. tattoo removed. And Santa's little helper shows up. Yep, that's when Simpsons started, 1989. Yeah, that's a good... That's when it was still good. It's not good anymore. I tried to watch it the other day. It's not good, It's huh? just not. Well, it's some things just end. Jump the shark. They need to end. Yeah, it needs to end. And to ruin your good feelings about uh, The Simpsons on December 23rd, 1989, mm-hmm. Phil Collins is back. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Phil Collins has another, Phil Collins. another number one song. Oh. This is a song about homeless people. This is a millionaire singing about homeless people mm-hmm. and how you should take a take time and give homeless people money. What is it? 
Another Day in Paradise. Oh, I remember that. It's another day for you and me in paradise. And the whole video is about people walking mm-hmm. past homeless people, ignoring them. And this actually got people up in arms. Like, fuck you, Phil Collins. You make way more money than most people. Yeah, right. You give homeless people some money. You See, dick. People got mad about him. Yeah. Oh, my. Time for toys. Phil Collins is all I got. Time for toys. So we're going to end. We cannot end. A whole Wait, season I got toys. on Phil Collins. So please tell me you have something other than just Phil Collins, Another Day in Paradise. I got toys. You love toys, Phil toys. Collins. You don't want to end on Phil Collins? No. With a great taste in your mouth of Phil Collins? No, no. Okay. The first toy day. is the Babysitter's Club book set. That was... Um, the a Babysitter's Club. That's still a thing, right? Kids Maybe. Still, there's like a new version where they they have tablets and they twerk. But probably. They twerk. They twerk. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one is the bubble mower, and that was a lawn mower that bubbles would come out of that it. That didn't come out until 1989? That's what it said. Huh, I want one of those. Yep. You use it for, Bub- you can turn that Bubbly into grass clippings is what you'll get when you use this mower. That'd be a cool thing to turn into a, a, a bong. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah. Sweet. There was a double dare game. Answer questions or take the physical challenges just like the Nickelodeon television game show. That's supposedly coming back. They're double bringing, dare? They're bringing double dare back, yeah. Oh, really? There was a Florence Griffith Florence Griffith Joyner doll. Oh. She was a fashion doll. Her she was fashion will be hard fast, to catch. She's the fastest woman, right? With yeah. those big long fingernails? Yeah, that's right. Fashion, fitness, and fantasy. That's this Olympic star. Comb her hair and dress her up in her complete line of Flojo fashions. Flojo, that's right, Flojo. Including nail decals to decorate little girls' nails just like Flojo's and a brush and a tote bag for the doll. Flojo was fast. Yep, she was fast. There was <laughs> there was a McDonald's G-I-G. uniform. Oh, he could just... Yeah, wear the uniform of a real McDonald's employee. Dress up a set of cloth and plastic includes apron and Velcro straps, cap, microphone, wipe off name tag, spatula, and tongs. Grow up to be a fucking loser. I know, right? Oh, Let's just no, I love keep it realistic. I love McDonald's employees. They're not losers. Come on. And then the next one is... I would bang everybody. This one kind of goes with it. This is a Play-Doh. It came out with a Whopper kit, and it was a... Um, you can Everything make was fast Burger King related. Whoppers. Yep, with pickles and relish and well, onions. And he seems like the toy companies were sitting around. How can we capitalize on this fast food market? Fast That's food's right. big right now. That's right. How can you dress like a McDonald's person and we'll have Play-Doh Whoppers? That's right. What about the Sega Genesis that came out? Yeah. Yep. I didn't have one, but no. I remember it. Maybe I did. Yep. I don't think I did. I don't know. And the last thing is the Ghostbusters set. Choose from the Ecto Goggles and Ecto Popper, Neutrona Blaster, and Ghost Trap. Or get the Proton Pack, which includes the backpack with straps, Ghost Blaster with soft foam wand, power cord, PKE meter with rotating antenna, Ghostbuster armband, label sheet, and Ghostbuster ID. Grab the Proton Packs off the back and they split. Find out about Vigo, the master of evil. Try to battle my boys. That's not legal. All right. Sorry, that's Bobby Brown. I think I've had a little bit too, too much Boonshine. Okay. This is a Tropic Pale Ale from Boone, North Carolina. Is it good? So that that was the toys, and that was 1989. And now we have a correction and apology. Okay. Okay. I have a couple of corrections and apologies from last episode. Um, first of all, Brian McCartney, uh, thank you. He's very good at pointing out our mistakes. And this isn't one I I, I didn't definitely say this, but I kind of remember I mentioned Oral Hershiser, Oral yeah. Oral and Anal yes, Hershiser. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, I felt like I said I feel like he played for the Tigers or something. I, oh, he, I knew he had a local connection to yeah. Northwest Ohio area. And Ryan reminded me. I totally forgot this. He is a Bowling Green Falcon. Oh, he went to BGSU. He's like, like the most famous BGSU guy, maybe besides Tim Conway and Eva Marie Saint. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Yep. He was a BGSU Falcon. I can't believe I forgot that. Okay. Oral anal Hershiser BGSU <laughs> Falcons. Uh, also. 
I am very disappointed in myself for this next one. Uh, we talked about just the ten of us, which is one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. And the lead actor was one of the greatest actors in American history, mm-hmm. Bill Kirkenbauer. Okay. That's And I know it's Bill Kirkenbauer. Bill Kirkenbauer is a funny comedian. I loved him. I've loved Bill Kirkenbauer. I'm a big Bill Kirkenbauer fan. Mm-hmm. Anybody who knows me knows All right, but I'm enough. a Bill Kirkenbauer fan. We get the point. But in last episode You forgot his name. I called him I called him Dan Kirkendall. Kirkendall. Yep. And I don't know why. Well, why that's I would and I said it so definitive. Oh, it was Dan Kirkendall. Like that's not that's Bill Kirkenbauer. All right. That's, that's all you need to do. Right. I know it's all I need to do, but I don't understand why I would have just made up a different name. Because you're nuts. That was it for 19. We have nothing else? Nothing else for the 80s. That was the 80s. That was the 80s, and that was our whole season. That's right. Season two is done. We've done 20-some-odd episodes, 26, 27, 35, whatever it is. Uh, We're now a podcast. We're going to be coming at you soon with season three, the 70s. Can't wait. It's going to be so good. And so you guys will have to be patient because if there's any corrections and apologies from this episode, which I'm sure there are. Yes. Amy was just fucking flying by the seat of her pants. uh, I probably said some things wrong because i've been drinking um but uh we'll be back next season for season three, three. Woo. the oh, 70s America. the 70s crazy second. it's gonna be psychedelic it's gonna be a lot of a lot of drugs a lot of yeah a lot of disco a lot of bell bottoms good music in the 70s heroin right it was heroin the big thing is that right i don't know a lot of weed a lot of, a lot of free love no that was pot. 60s a lot of pot a lot yeah. of like Orange kitchens. Orange and orange brown. And brown. Everything was orange, orange and brown. Orange and brown and avocado and gold. Like huge collars and welcome back, Kata. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a good time, so hopefully we'll see you back here. Same place. You don't have to do anything different. You nope. Stay subscribed. Still give us 18 stars. Uh, still make up fake. Still rate us, review us, tell your friends. Yeah. Rate us and review us. Keep telling your friends. Bug your friends. Like, shake them until they you see them give us five stars on iTunes. Or at least listen. Or listen yeah. We love you and uh and it's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Yeah, let's get let's say goodbye to season two, y'all. Season two was fun. Alright, take it away, Matt Shroy. <laughs>